0: This podcast is being brought to you by Voyage AC.
1: Hey, I know you're about to head down south for your surf trip. I- is your ankle still bothering you?
0: Um, a little bit. Some days are better than others.
1: Well, then you'll be pleased to know that I got you a little Bon Voyage gift. Oh, Voyage AC's RX remedy to take down there with you. You just roll it on wherever the pain is, and it's like magic. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't used it on my knee, and the pain that was always just kind of there in the background was just gone, erased.
0: Ah, honey, thanks. And wow, it smells amazing.
1: Yeah, Voyage AC is your destination for all these amazing self-care products. So many gorgeous candles and other wonderful gifts like beautiful diffusers, exciting perfumes, and luxurious face and body products. So, hon, how can our listeners find Voyage AC?
0: Uh, You can find everything on their website at www.voyageac.com. That's V-O-Y-A-G-E-E-T-C-I-E dot com.
1: And as you know, Melanie is willing to give my friends and family discount to all our listeners right now. That's 10% off everything you buy.
0: Right? All you need to do is enter the only one at checkout.
1: That's right. All you have to do is enter the only one when you make your purchase. Voyage AC is an olfactory journey of candles, perfume, and organic beauty products.
0: This episode's being sponsored by Cute Booty Lounge.
1: Hey, hun. Pajogger Booty. E-
0: excuse me, what's a. Jogger booty.
1: <laughs> it's just the most comfortable, sexy jogger made out of pajama material. Ah. It's friggin' brilliant. And see how they fit?
0: Oh, yeah, I see how they fit. <laughs> I mm-hmm. knew you would like it.
1: Cute Booty Lounge is made right here in the USA by women and for women. The company is incredible, female and minority owned. And they have these super cute patented scrunch butt pockets on their leggings. There is a cute booty style for everyone. Cute Booty Lounge has you covered. Embrace your body. Love your booty.
0: And to make it even sweeter, head to cutebootylounge.com and enter the code THEONLYBOOTY to get 15% off your first order.
1: It's such a great deal.
0: Yep, get yours now. Head to cutebootylounge.com and enter the code THEONLYBOOTY to get 15% off your first order.
2: I'm Meg Weber, and I'm the only one who addressed her grief with BDSM. You know, it's interesting. Part of where I learned is therapy as a client, but also as a therapist and the work that I do. But the biggest place I learned how to communicate is within kink. For me to learn how to say, this is what I want. No, I don't want that. This is what I'm available for. I learned those skills of negotiation through the process of interacting in kink.
1: Imagine contacting someone through a dating app. Only you're not looking for a date. You're looking for someone to dominate you, to be the top to your bottom. Meg Weber, memoirist and mental health therapist, spent a year with Mr. Lucky, the moniker she'd given to the top she wanted to bottom with. But she ended up catching feelings for him just before he ghosted her. So what would you do if you were grieving someone and needed to get closure? Would you pine away hoping that they reappeared in your life? Or would you seek out another top to create scenes with so you could finally say goodbye? Hi, I'm Laura Cathcart-Robbins, and this is The Only One in the Room. In September 2018, I found myself in an all too familiar position. Looking around the room at the other attendees at a famed writer's retreat, I realized that I was the only black woman in the room. When I wrote about my experience for the Huffington Post, something surprising happened. 24 hours after my piece went live, I had 568 direct messages in my inbox. These were messages from people of all races, ethnicities, creeds, and nationalities who had connected with my piece because they, too, had felt othered. These are the stories we want to share. This podcast is for anyone who has ever felt alone in a room full of people, which is to say that this podcast is for everyone. You're listening to The Only One in the Room, presented by Lipstick and & Vinyl and executively produced by Christina Barcy. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to like and leave us a review of your thoughts on the show. And if you have an only one in the room story you'd like to share, you can DM us on Instagram at the only one in the room. Enjoy the show, Meg Weber. Hi, how are you? I am good. How are you today, Laura? I'm good. You sound great. I'm excited to have you here. And before we start, there's a question I wanted to ask you, and I. You know, I ask people icebreaker questions, but this is a question I wanted to ask you in particular. So the question is, what is the last time that you were truly surprised?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. I was proposed to on Christmas by my partner, my girlfriend, and we had talked about not doing proposals until after the holidays. And then she proposed to me on Christmas. So I was completely surprised and really happy about it. Oh, that's such a great answer to my question. (laughs) I'm so glad I asked it. How did she propose? We decided to uh, exchange ornaments for Christmas. It's technically our second Christmas together, but we are calling this our first Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so she got me an ornament that said 2020 first Christmas together. And then it said the word engaged underneath that. (gasps) And it was early in the morning on Christmas and I wasn't fully awake. And so it took me a minute to understand what the ornament was saying and that there was a ring attached.
1: Oh, oh, that's so cool. Very romantic. Yeah. Congratulations, girl. That's awesome.
2: We're really excited.
1: Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And I am Laura Cathcart-Robbins, and this is the only one in the room. But I am never the only one in this room because, as usual, my boyfriend, producer, and co-host, Scott Slaughter, who I call Hun, is here as well. Hi, honey. Hey, honey. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we're talking to Meg Weber today, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about her. Mm-hmm. She writes memoir. Sound familiar? Yeah, so <laughs> yes, I under,
0: I know that lifestyle.
1: <laughs> yes, you do. Um she writes memoir about sex, grief, love, family therapy, and tangled relationships. Interesting. Mhm. Meg's writing gives voice to the ways her life continues to unfold outside the boundaries prescribed for her. She is a queer mental health therapist who specializes in gender and sexuality. She lives in her hometown of Portland, Oregon with her teenager and their Labradoodle named Portland.
0: Way to go, Labradoodles.
1: So we might hear Portland at some points during this interview. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And what color is your Labradoodle, Portland?
2: She's apricot with some white
1: features on her. She's oh, adorable. Wow. Yeah. We have two black Labradoodles named Venus and Serena. Mm. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love it. They're pretty, except for they don't care at all for tennis balls. We we tried. They're very uh,
0: very poodly.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are very poodly. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah they, I don't know. They're not very lappy, I guess. <laughs> I said before we start, I was going to ask you the icebreaker question, but this is another before we start. I just have to shout out Miss Amy Bond, who is one of the true loves of my life. And she's a great connector and she connected the two of us. So I just want to shout her out and thank her. Thank you, Amy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yes. Thank you, Amy. I'm so happy to be connected with you two, and Amy is amazing in so many ways.
0: In so many ways, she it's, just makes things happen,
1: right? And, she does. And we've interviewed her twice, and we're probably going to have to interview her again. She has a pretty cool situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: That. She does so many things that she is. Yes. Yeah, she could need lots of interviews.
1: Yeah, I think it's just going to be a, an only one series. <laughs> you can just like pull out the Amy <laughs> Bond series. Yeah, well,
0: I think that she gives voice, like you said earlier, to just things that people don't talk about.
1: Right, right. Yes, she does. And mm-hmm. she does it so well. She makes it really accessible. Hey, Meg, how do you identify?
2: I identify as a queer woman, as kinky and. I'm the youngest of eight children and that's something that's always been a big part of my identity.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. I mean I I actually knew that you were the youngest of eight but I didn't know that when we talked. You know I found that out when I read your amazing book, A Year with Mr. Lucky, A Year of Mr. Lucky, sorry.
0: I got all the highlights by the way.
1: Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, being the youngest of eight, that's something. I'm sure there are many studies done, you know, about birth order and there would be some things that come out about being the youngest of that many kids, you know.
2: Right. I remember in my psychology classes in undergrad and grad school, them talking about birth order, and you know, most of those examples, there might have been four kids, and I was always the annoying one in the room. Like, but what about if there's eight kids? <laughs> then do we have Do we have two of everybody? How does that work? Right. So, you take right? all the
0: characteristics and divide it by two. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. It's very mathematical. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I want to talk about you. Obviously, I have a million questions for you, but I also want to talk about you in context of your book, A Year of Mr. Lucky. And so that's actually out right now as we record this, right?
2: It is. It came out just a month ago today.
1: A month so. ago today. That's wonderful. So it's written in this, well, there's a lot of it in the style that's it's called epistolary, right? Which mm-hmm. is letters between or correspondence between two people. And when I was little, one of my favorite books was a book of letters between Abigail and John Adams. The content was nothing like <laughs> between <laughs> you and Mr. Lucky.
2: <laughs> I can imagine that, yes.
1: But I loved the idea of reading this, this raw correspondence, like, you know, this unedited correspondence. It was just so cool. I felt like I was a fly on the wall. And that's how I felt with your book. You're a therapist, like we said in the intro, and you're a mama, which is so cool. To you have a daughter, right?
2: My kid is non binary. Non binary. Okay. And they go by they, them pronouns.
1: Got it. Got it. So you're a mama, you're a therapist, and you are divorced when you first contact Mr. Lucky on OKCupid. Is that correct?
2: Yes. I had just moved out from living with my ex-partner slash co-parent.
1: Okay. and
2: But we didn't really move out far. We lived in a duplex side-by-side so that oh. we could parent
1: our kid. <laughs> yeah. So there
2: wasn't a whole lot of distance and the walls were thin. But yes, I was newly divorced when I found Mr. Lucky.
1: That's so funny. My ex-husband and I got divorced. I bought a house three doors down from him. So very similar. Very yeah. similar. Yeah. And people were like, are you crazy? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> But it's good for the kids. It's good for so the we kids. Do it. Exactly. Exactly. I was just going to read an excerpt if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Okay. So this is, I think this is the beginning. This is you writing. And it says I'm Meg. The following bits from your profile caught my attention exciting spankings, handcuffs, and your writerly love of books. I am seeking medium contentment fun and like to play, but not necessarily lose at Scrabble. I am highly freckled and am an ethical slut. So I kind of condensed that. There was more in there. And then the response from him is, you seem like an honest and sensible person, which is the kind I like to know, plus freckles, exclamation point. Before meeting, I want to hear what type of kink scenes interest you most. And then parenthetically, I've had a few okay cupid experiences in which everyone's time would have been saved by an early discussion of this stuff. So right away, I was like, well, they're really, I want to say proper, but that's not the right word. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the type of experience you're looking for, it seems like you guys are really civil and curious. And like, what would you say, Hun, listening to that? Oh,
0: I don't know. It seems very proper, like a proper yeah. meeting.
1: Yeah. It's more formal, right? Mm-hmm. My, like, yeah. yeah. So what were you looking for when you contacted him?
2: I was looking for somebody to have fun with. I told myself that I only wanted a casual relationship and I didn't really need to get involved in anything serious, which is hilarious because that's not who I am, but that's what I was going for. And I had been in my relationship with my ex-partner for 14 years total. And I was ready to be in a more casual relationship And I was really ready to explore sex with men again. I hadn't done that since we had been together, really. And I knew that I wanted to have a chance to explore BDSM again. I had done that before my marriage. And it's really what is exciting to me. And a profile like Mr. Lucky's just jumped out at me. He's clever. He's witty. And he seemed like he would be the kind of top that I would have fun with.
1: So right away, I'm going to ask you to explain a lot of things. So first of all, BDSM, can you tell us what that is?
2: I'm going to get the acronym wrong because everybody disputes (laughs) what is involved there, but I always think of it as bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, Mm -hmm. and sadomasochism. It's sort of a smushing together of all of those different pairings. Yes. And it also... It's not an umbrella term in the way that kink is an umbrella term for all sorts of things, but I have often used them interchangeably.
1: And kink can be something that you like. It can also be a way to identify, right?
2: Exactly. A lot of people use kink or kinky as an identifier.
1: Right. And then can you describe topping and bottoming for me, please?
2: So from my perspective, topping is the person who is in charge of a scene or a relationship. They're the ones not making all the decisions, but they're often the active partner. They're the one doing things to the bottom who Mm -hmm. is on the other end of that dynamic. The bottom also has a lot of control and power. So I don't want to mix things up and, and have it sound like If you're a bottom or a submissive, you have no control. Mm -hmm. Often the folks in that role have at least as much control and power as the person who's topping. It's just a matter of who's in charge when.
1: And I really got that from the book that he was very interested in what you wanted as the submissive in your exchanges, anyway, in the correspondence, rather. And then you were very expressive in what you wanted. And You wanted him to be very clear about what he wanted from you, right?
2: Yes. It's funny. I don't think anybody that knows me and has been in my life through that experience would say that he was very interested in what I wanted. (laughs) So that perspective is really refreshing for me. Um, Uh, I think he was really interested in what he wanted and how we could make what I wanted fit into that. That's sort of how I would say that.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate. So tell me, what experience were you looking for with him? What did you want to happen when you guys met up?
2: I wanted to have somebody new to talk to. I wanted us to have an opportunity to play together. And I, again, was hoping that it would be casual. Maybe we'd meet up a couple times a month. We'd have a good time. Maybe we'd go out for dinner or, you know, have a social encounter occasionally, but that he would just be somebody that I got to do these things with and he wouldn't be much more than that in my life.
1: Right. We're going to take just a quick break to tell you about a cool new product that Scott and I discovered. And we'll get back to our guest's amazing only one story in just a minute.
0: This episode of The Only One in the Room is being sponsored by Best Fiends. Hey, so honey, you did great on that last trip. You were so relaxed and chill.
1: Well, I think that's partially due to the fact that I have my best fiends with me in the airport,
0: by the pool, Mm. to
1: wind down with at night.
0: I see. So that's your secret.
1: Yes. And I'm always more chill with my bestie, best fiends. Whether I'm traveling or hanging at home, I'm never bored because I have my best fiends with me.
0: Best Fiends has over 5,000 levels to keep you challenged. That's enough gameplay to keep you busy from summer till who knows. Mm. Make Best Fiends one of your summer activities. It's always fun never frustrating and it keeps you coming back for more. You can play it anywhere because you don't need Wi-Fi to play and no bandwidth, no problem. They update their games monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old and the higher you go, you get more and better characters with different powers. That's
1: right, hun. This five-star rated puzzle game is packed with super fun brain challenges and never-ending entertainment. So treat your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Join me and millions of Americans who are already playing this game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. So, hey, I could not love my new Savage X Fenty by Rihanna anymore. In fact, I can't stop looking at myself in my new lace thong and bra. And as someone who never treats herself to lingerie, yes, I am guilty of that. I was stunned by how soft these pieces are and how they fit like they were made just for me. I love the details, and the cut is super sexy. What do you think, hun? are Aren't these cupless corsets hot?
0: Uh, I was just turning on the air conditioner because it is hot in here.
1: <laughs> and they look high-end, right? But they won't break the bank. Are you looking for cute cutouts, crotchless undies, cupless corsets, there are really no limits with Savage X Fenty. And there's always a little surprise in every design. And these details are exactly the type of extra you want in your life. Always so stylish and functional. And I am here for all of it. I'm so confident that you're going to love yours that I want to give you this offer code. It's just for you, our listeners. Right now, you can get undies for as low as $7. You hear me? $7. Mm-hmm. Bralettes for 10 bras for 15 and sleepwear for $17. It's such a great deal for such high-quality lingerie. And if you tap in and become a VIP, you get two bras for $29 plus 50% off everything site-wide at com slash onlyone. Whether you're a 32A or a 42H, they have hundreds of pieces designed with your body type in mind. I know you'll have zero regrets. Shop my favorite, Savage X Fenty Styles, at www.savagex.com slash onlyone.
0: Yes, use the code that's just for our listeners and get your Savage X Fenty Styles at wwwsavagexcom forward slash onlyone. That's s-a-v-a-g-e-x dot com forward slash Forward slash only one
1: and so you guys talk about playing scenes right is is, mm-hmm. is that is that the right term playing scenes or just we talk about yeah maybe doing a scene doing or, a scene yeah yeah I was surprised to find that some of the scenes included things like folding his laundry or making yourself into a table while he set his lunch plate and water glass on on your bare back right was that correct yes while he ate. Can you just talk to me about that or n- explain it for somebody who's never had exposure to anything like that?
2: Absolutely. So for me, service like that is something that is really interesting to me. I like doing those sorts of things in service to another person, if that's part of our dynamic. That isn't true for everybody. Other people don't want to fold anybody's laundry, especially not <laughs> somebody that they're having sex with. But. Right for me being useful and having a role of providing service to somebody mm-hmm. is a really important part of submission for me and it also when i talk about this a little bit in the book it's also just how i was raised you know i mentioned being the youngest of eight kids and we definitely had an energy in our household that you just did what you needed to do to support each other and You know, my parents never asked us twice to do something. Mm, (laughs) In -hmm. fact, they probably shouldn't have had to ask us once. You know, if my mom came home with a a station wagon full of groceries, we didn't keep playing video games. Mm -hmm. As soon as we heard the garage door go up, we all dropped what we were doing to unload the groceries without question. It's just how I was raised. And so for me, being able to take that and use it in this other kind of subversive way is entertaining.
1: And I got that. I I got that this was was a part of you, like you were replaying something. But there was also, there was a delight there for you about it. Like you express delight a lot, especially when you're with him. I don't know that you use that word ever, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what came across on the page was you were delighted when when he did this, when he said this, like when he did the things that you were hoping that he would do. That's the the feeling I got from it was that this was not just exciting to you, but there was some kind of fulfillment there for you as well.
2: Yes. And I think delight is a great description for that. I really did delight in our connection and in the time that I got to spend with him, particularly because that's where he was most present. Right. I was much more present in our email correspondence than he was, which became a problem throughout the rest of the book. It did. And so when I was in person with him, I had his mostly undivided attention, and right. that was what I delighted in.
1: Can you take us through that first date of like arriving at his place and then what that was like, what happened once you got there? Because this is a person that you've met through correspondence only, never met in person. You've seen his picture, right? Mm-hmm. And he'd seen yours. And I think I remember this and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had let him know that you were going to be giving his information to a friend just to like be safe. Is that correct?
2: I had. Yeah. That's sort of a silent safety alarm that a lot of folks who are involved in kink or who might have sex on a first date do they just if I don't call this person by this time that's already agreed upon then they know where I am and they know to call the police or try to get a hold of me Mm -hmm. um, because something might have gone wrong
1: right can you tell us like just start from being on his porch and what you had in your hand
2: so I arrived (laughs) um, to meet up with him and it was summer So I had brought, uh, I think, a pint of blueberries or raspberries. I think they were raspberries. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really hard for me to show up somewhere empty handed. Um, (laughs) And so there I am. I had gotten myself all psyched up and I was ready. And then he opened the door and I almost fell off the porch because I was clumsy. And that was really embarrassing. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: But he took it in stride. And wait, I'm sorry.
1: What did you think when you saw him?
2: I thought he was. 10 times more handsome than his photos looked. Mm -hmm. um, Because he was a real person then. He wasn't just an image on the internet. I was instantly more attracted to him than I already had been, which was a lot.
1: Right. I mean, that's what everybody hopes for, right? Right. That's (laughs) exactly
2: what you're hoping for. And he was warm. And, you know, he smiled and he gave me a hug and it just felt welcoming and warm. So... I got there and we had agreed that we were going to play a game of Scrabble and get to know each other. And that if everything went well, that we might transition into playing that first night that we met. Mm-hmm. So the Scrabble game was fun and challenging. I knew that he would kick my ass in Scrabble and he did. Right. But it's <laughs> um, your, tried- your
1: idea, right? To play Scrabble?
2: I think he had mentioned it in his profile. And so it was something uh, clearly he played a lot more Scrabble than I did (laughs) at that time. (laughs) And um, so I kind of knew that I was not going to win, but I figured I could mostly hold my own and I mostly did. He tried to be really demure and say, you know, oh, I'm just getting good letters, which was total BS. He was just (laughs) trouncing me, but it was really fun to just get to chat back and forth. And we had gotten to know a lot about each other through the three weeks of email correspondence. But it's different to have a conversation in person.
1: Yes, very much.
2: Very different. And then after the game was over, he sort of looked at me and said, well, are you game? Do you want to move into a scene? And of course I did. Right. (laughs) So we
1: did. And so can you just tell me like how you start the scene?
2: So he and I had negotiated that during the three weeks of getting to know each other. Um, I knew from previous play experience I had that having some type of ritual to start the scene
0: Mm -hmm.
2: um, and end it, which is something he and I didn't do, was really helpful for me. It helps take me from I'm my everyday person into I'm playing this role. So he and I had constructed a ritual, a verbal ritual, that I would kneel in front of him and I would recite basically my vow of submission Mm -hmm, to him. mm -hmm. And that would be the beginning of our play.
1: Right. And that's kind of like... um it kind of rings like the dinner bell for what you get to do, right? Like, you know, it's happening then.
2: Exactly. Then we know that we have switched into that dynamic.
1: So how many times would you say that you met him this way over the course of your relationship with him?
2: So in the course of what happened in this book, we played six times and we had a couple of other in-person meetings just to talk uh, about stuff going on. But we, we played a total of six times. Okay. Did you have meetings outside of what you wrote about in the book? No. Every time I met him in person is in the book. I ended up playing with him after this
1: book is over, but that's oh, a different story. It is so. a different story. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll be waiting Part for two. that book too. The yes. second book. <laughs> yes. A second year of Mr. Lucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's six times where you guys meet to play this way. In between your corresponding, I start to feel like a separation here in your book. In the book, we read what you want to write to, right? Mm-hmm. All the things that we read that you've composed, you don't always send to him. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, a
2: big part of what I was doing with that is I was writing to him, but I had so much more content and emotion than he was willing to receive. And right. so, to manage my own process, I had to do my own writing that I wasn't sharing with him. Otherwise, I would have been putting way too much, even more, onto Mm, him, mm -hmm. and that wasn't going to work. So there's a lot of pieces in the book that have titles, and they're short narrative pieces. So I started a private blog that only a few people in my life had access to, Mm. and that's where I was processing what's happening in this relationship, what am I doing how am I going to hold on to myself through this thing?
1: Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, like, because there are times when you're waiting for his response and you seem to be agitated and obsessing about it. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the word that you would put to it. It's totally fair. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's the word I would put to it. Yes. Um, I was wondering, is that in some way pleasurable as someone who is a submissive in that scenario? I think it can be if you have enough
2: faith and trust in the top that he's actually going to follow through.
0: Mm.
2: And he and I sort of played with that boundary early on. But then when he started not responding more often, that there were longer gaps between me writing and him responding, Mm
0: -hmm. it
2: stopped being fun at all. And it just felt like torture. And not torture in
1: a fun way. Right, right. (laughs) You were not, it was not delightful. It was not delightful. You were not enjoying it. All right. So I wanted to switch gears and to talk a little bit about your sister, Tracy. Is that okay? Absolutely. Are you four siblings
2: apart? We are, gosh, it's hard to count that way. I believe we are four siblings apart. So she was the second oldest and the oldest girl and I'm the youngest. So I believe that means... No, there's five between us because there's the other sister and four boys.
1: Okay. But you two seemed close.
2: We were. We were really close. She was my closest family member at the time.
1: All right. So Tracy took her life during the time period covered in this book. Mm -hmm. I was hoping that you could just tell me about her a little bit and the day that she chose to take her life because I know that was significant.
2: Yeah, those are great questions. I mean, talking about Tracy, there's so much of who she was. We were really close, and she was just this dynamic figure in my life. We were 12 years apart, and we spent a lot of time together once I was in high school and college. And we often would be out in public, and people would think she was my mom, which she hated, but I, neither of us really <laughs> got along with our mom that well. So it was kind of nice in that way, too. Like, I'd rather she be my mom. Nice. Um, and she was just she was a lot of things, but she could be really lively and vibrant. And she had a fantastic sense of personal style, Mm. um, which she was a fat woman um, for most of her life. And for me, that was really inspiring because I wasn't taught that in my own big body, I could be fashionable or beautiful. Mm. And she got those messages too, but she was able to sometimes, push back against those and just be beautiful. And she loved to accessorize. And so I learned a lot from her in that way. Unfortunately, those very things are also part of what led to her dying by suicide. She didn't feel lovable. She didn't believe that unless she changed how she looked, that she was going to be able to ever find a partner. And that part was really heartbreaking. And it was really hard to watch. She gained and lost over a hundred pounds more than once in mm-hmm. her life, which mm-hmm. is really hard on a body. Yeah, And it was really hard to watch her go through that process, get to her, you know, skinniest, really scary skinny and still not feel what she was hoping to find there, which of course she didn't. Cause that's not where it is. So that was really heartbreaking. And To talk about the day she died, there was a lot going on in my life at that point. And I think that might be what you're referencing, Mm -hmm. um, that it was a big day. I had made a breakthrough in my relationship with Mr. Lucky, trying to start letting go in some ways. Yes. I had booked a photo shoot that I was really excited about that was just about celebrating uh, women and women's bodies and kind of owning your own body, which was a huge step for me. Mm -hmm. Um, There was just a lot going on that day. And, and then as the day went on and I hadn't been able to reach her, she had a call with each of her siblings with one of her siblings each day of the week. And I wasn't able to reach her on my day. And that was when the warning signs were going off for me. And that's when I went to her house that night and met my other sister there. And, mm. and that's when we found her dead in oh. her apartment.
1: Yeah. I'm so sorry about that. Um, Thank you. It was honestly a little hard to read. I had to put it down for a second and then come back to it because right before that, she's helping you dress mm-hmm. for for this. And... It's it's kind of I felt like my kind of first glimpse, even though you had talked about her in the book before, just into the playing that you guys did, and mm-hmm. and how how you were with her. I I really felt connected to that, and I wasn't prepared. And I was like reading it, going, "Oh, I I hope this isn't mm-hmm. it," because yeah. I, I I knew that I knew that she died by suicide. But I I was hoping that wasn't the moment. And then when it was, I I sat back for a second. So. This happens. And yeah, the significance. Thank you for telling that story. And it was just also, there was a Thursday, I believe, mm-hmm. because Thursday was your day to call. And you knew that she knew that you would you would be one of the people to find her because it was your day to check on her, right?
2: Right. That's something I remember having a conversation with my other sister um, after Tracy had died. And we were talking to somebody else about, about Tracy's death. And and I said that as, sh- as clearly as I said it in the book, I know that Tracy knew that I would come for her and that it, she knew it would be too late. And I'd never said that out loud to my other sister. But when I did, she agreed with me completely. She said, yes, absolutely. She knew that you would come mm-hmm. and find her.
1: Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah. yeah, I'm taking a breath here. Mm-hmm. So two things seem to happen at once. So you're you know you've had this breakthrough with Mr. Lucky where you're he's pulling away a little bit and you're allowing it more, right? And then ish ish, <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then and then Tracy dies and you are broken open and so you're you contact him, right? Can you tell me about that?
2: Yes. So my best friend came in from out of town and. She had been following this whole Mr. Lucky story while I was living it, and she didn't like him very much. A lot of people in my life didn't like him very much. and But I was explaining to her that I just wanted him to hold me. I wanted the comfort of someone's arms who is bigger than me, and that I could just kind of melt into. And other than Mr. Lucky, my only options for that were my brothers. I have five older brothers but they were grieving too. And I wanted somebody separate. And so I did, I reached out to him and asked him if we could meet and if we could just sit on a couch and I could cry and he could hold me.
0: Hmm.
2: And we had this infuriating back and forth and he said, no, that he wasn't up for that.
1: First of all, that's the most vulnerable I feel that you are during the book. I mean, just period, you're very exposed at that moment. And it's a very vulnerable request, right? Because you guys weren't meeting in person then, and you wanted him to kind of break that and meet you just so that he could do this. How did it feel when he said no?
2: I was really angry Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and I was hurt and disappointed. And I also wasn't surprised.
0: Mm. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I think a big part of what was going on for him at that moment was um, he had a primary partner during that time and she had gone away and then had come back and they were living together. And I think it got super complicated for him to try to be involved with anybody else. Yeah, And I think that it was just too difficult for him to navigate meeting up with me. I think he also, like he said in the book, it didn't feel right to him because he didn't see himself in that role Mm -hmm. in my life. Yeah, But I also think some of the non-monogamy complications were getting in the way as well.
1: Right, right. And so I also just wanted to kind of double back and I wrote a note there saying that I've never been that emotionally articulate about anything before and I just really admired it. I just admire that you really understood what you needed and you were able to ask for it in that way.
2: Thank you. That
1: just really broke through to me because I was like, what would I do? And, you know, and I might do it, you know, if it comes up in my life, you know, in the future, I might be able to do that. But up until now, I haven't been able to do that. So,
2: yeah, thank you for saying that. I think that. You know, it's interesting. Part of where I learned those skills is therapy as a client, but also as a therapist and the the work that I do. But the the biggest place I learned how to communicate like that is within kink. For me to learn how to say this is what I want, no, I don't want that. This is what I am available for. I learned those skills of negotiation through the process of interacting in kink. And so it worked really well for me to draw on those skills at the time when you're right. It's one of the most vulnerable times of my whole life.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and in fact, I do a, we call it the Black Girl Magic Dog Walk. It's me and three other Black women. We walk with our dogs every Saturday. And we talked about your book this past Saturday. And I was telling them how struck I was by the clarity that you display that you're requesting from him and how unclear he is <laughs> he's yes. he's skirting for so much of it he just doesn't ever come out and say you know what he says at the end and we were just talking about how important it is and and where we use that in our lives that kind of clarity and and then I talked about your correspondence and how clear a lot of that was and I was really surprised by that so I'm glad that you said it it has to do with kink or that you learned it there because that makes so much sense Because you need to be clear there or one would want to be clear there because you want to be safe and you want to get the result, you know, that you're looking for.
2: Right, exactly. And also in the communication in our correspondence. I often joke that I spent more time and focus crafting and editing those emails than anything I ever wrote for grad school or anything like that. (laughs) Right, right. This was way, I mean, grad school was fine, but this was way more important to me. I had to ride that line of keeping him interested and of me being compelling without overwhelming him.
1: Right. So now I want to talk about Molly for a little bit. So I want you to tell me who she was, is, and... (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just say that you end up going to her to continue playing out scenes, right? Right. And I wanted to know about doing that with someone of a different gender than you started with. So can you tell me about her and then what that was like?
2: Absolutely. So at the point when I was looking for someone who became Molly, I knew that Mr. Lucky was ghosting me and he was not going to be willing to finish what we started You know, Because there was the dynamic of dominance and submission between he and I, I still felt like part of me belonged to him. And I mentioned earlier that we had this great opening ritual, but we didn't have a closing ritual. And that was a really big mistake
1: Mm. because
2: it meant that even when I wasn't seeing him, there was a little part of me that still felt like he had some control over me. And so what I wanted to do was close that. I wanted to take away any control he had over me. And as a therapist and just as a person in the world, I had been in a psychodrama therapy group. And part of what you do in psychodrama is you work out stuff you don't get to work out other places. Mm. And so I took the experience that I'd had in this psychodrama group and I said, okay, I'm just going to make this happen on my own with another person. I'm going to find somebody to step into his role. Psychodrama is a little bit like casual play acting. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say everything I need to say to him, to this person in his role. And I'm going to hope that it works. So that is what I was looking for. Molly is a friend of a a friend of mine. And so I approached her and said, are you willing to do this work with me? And she also had a question about how I would be able to do that with her as a woman Mm -hmm. since I was trying to end a relationship with a man. And we talked about that. And she had quite a bit of experience topping and playing some of these roles. And so I just figured that she could embody his essence enough to make it work. And I was right. Yeah. So together, she and I. Crafted what we thought needed to happen. I shared with her some of the writing that I had done about my relationship with him so she could kind of study up for the role. And then she and I met. We ended up doing two scenes um, because the first one created a lot of movement in me, but it didn't close it. Mm. And the second one closed the dynamic with him. It felt like it worked. And that's where the book ends.
1: That's incredible. (laughs) <laughs> it really is and and you know and what I what I forgot to mention before I asked you about Molly was that so you were at a point when you when you chose to seek her out where you were grieving two losses the the loss yes. of your sister and the loss of miss or the reality that mr lucky wouldn't be the person that you could finish this with exactly right? and yes. so then you sought another Avenue for this which again it is is just it's I read it and I was like, wow, like that is just so smart to not just sit in it and have it unfinished, but to take that type of action. I, I don't know. I don't know of anybody (laughs) that's ever (laughs) done anything like that. I mean, I remember like when I was in treatment, do you remember this, hun? They put like an empty chair in the middle of group and they had us talk to it. Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. That was my only experience Mm -hmm. with with that type of thing. And I was, you know i I was kind of like eye rolling during the whole thing. We weren't in the same (laughs)
0: class, by the way.
1: No, we weren't Uh, in uh, the same class. (laughs)
0: So I didn't get to watch that. Right, but
1: (laughs) but but, um, because I
0: was all in, I was yelling. You were. (laughs) He was yelling.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, he was. He was ready, and I I was so not ready for that, and. But other than that, I've I've not ever heard of anybody doing what you did. And so this was where I am now in my life, what I'm ready for emotionally. It made perfect sense to read that and and think that that's what you did to move forward.
2: Yeah, I think what stands out for me and what you're saying is, I think I knew that the loss of my sister was so devastating. And there was nothing I could do about that. I had to live through it. I had to find ways Mm. to reorganize within my family and reconnect with people in my family. But I think something in me knew there's something I can do about this Mr. Lucky situation. I can affect change. I can end it in a way that then I'm not carrying two losses forward into my life. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do it. And thankfully, with my clinical training and the work that I had done in my personal therapy and in that therapy group, I knew the skills. I knew that it would probably work. And thankfully I was right.
1: Well, yes, thankfully you were. And it took you roughly six years to write this book, right? Mm -hmm. It was rejected by 41 agents and presses before it was picked up by Sincere Publishing. Sincere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A small press, which had already published some standalone pieces of yours. Then you wrote, other adventures in publishing this book included hiring an editor for the first full draft of the book, which led to a challenging and tumultuous three-year romantic partnership with said editor. Woo! Yeah. That's book three. (laughs) (laughs) Obtaining explicit permission from Mr. Lucky to use his emails as he wrote them, and Mm -hmm. as well as his general blessing to publish the story the way you wrote it deciding to use your own name and not a pseudonym, coming out to your siblings about your involvement in kink, discussing the book with one of your therapy clients before his client ran into the book due to your overlapping communities and connections. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. interesting. I thought all that was probably another episode. Oh my God, at least one. (laughs) Is there anything in there you want to expound upon before we close? I think the thing
2: I will say is we've joked a little bit about like what's book two and you yes. know, Scott mentioned book three, heaven yeah. forbid. Um, <laughs> book two does, I'm, I'm about 85% through writing book two mm. and um, it does involve a lot of interactions with Molly because I do continue to work with her, but it also involves a whole lot more grief. Um, mm. So after these situations, I in the next year or so, I went through more grief. My mother dies. I have this great connection with Molly, and then she decides to leave kind mm. of abruptly. Mm. So for me, it's just grief upon grief upon grief. And so that's a big part of what happens in book two,
1: okay. is
2: that I'm telling the stories of those griefs. and. I probably will have to include some details about that tumultuous three-year relationship with mm-hmm, the editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a
1: whole complicated story in and of itself. All right. Well, I will definitely look forward to this. For everyone who is listening, we didn't really get into the juice of this book. It is freaking juicy. We were talking in this group of women about erotica and and porn and you know just stuff for women particularly to to enjoy. And that, you know, this idea that we can be free to enjoy porn and erotica, even though this book is an erotica, I don't think it falls into that category. It's your story. But it's, you know, there's there's parts of it that are so sexy and such a turn on. So for anyone who's listening, go and purchase this book, A Year of Mr. Lucky by Meg Weber, and find yourself a little corner and some chocolates. If you drink, get a glass of wine and enjoy it. <laughs> Thank it, you. It's like that. It is definitely like that. So how can people find you, Meg?
2: So the easiest place to find me, especially my writing self, is at the website Meg Weber Writer. And there's all sorts of stuff about Mr. Lucky and other publications that I've done, And there's also a place there that shows where I'm reading or things like that. Yeah. And I like your site. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I'm also on Instagram at megweber8. That's probably the other place that I am.
1: Yeah. We'll also have it in the show notes. So you guys won't have to fumble around. You can just click on the link and it'll take you right there. And Meg, you've been amazing I love this conversation. I knew I would. And I'm just going to end it with our text exchange. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this was, this is a recent text exchange, not the whole thing. Um, the first one's from me. I said, hi, I just finished your incredible book. Not what I expected. I'm so glad I read it. Brava, Meg. It's magnificent. You made me feel welcome to explore a subject matter that I previously prejudged. You made it so accessible, romantic, and human. I can't wait for our conversation on Monday. And then you hearted it and you respond, wow, Laura, thank you so much. I'm so excited for our conversation. I've been listening to a lot of episodes of the pod and you were such a fantastic interviewer. We are going to have a great time. You are also a prophet because we did. So <laughs> We
2: did. We had a great time. I knew we would. Thank you so much yes. for having me on. And this was a great conversation. I had a really
1: excellent time. Yes. Yeah, thank, thank you, you Maggie. Maggie.
0: It was wonderful. Thanks for your honesty.
1: Thank you for listening to The Only One in the Room. Please join us each Tuesday and Sunday for an incredible brand new Only One interview. And every Friday for On My Nightstand, where I'll be reading something that I love. If you have an Only One story you'd like to share or a piece of writing you'd like to submit, please send it to theonlyonepod at gmail.com. From all of us at The Only One in the Room, we wish you dopeness, health, and prosperity.